This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. Let's take a look back now at a big story in our province this year, money laundering. This is the year we saw more revelations about the scale and scope of criminal money laundering in our province, how it's distorting the economy. There was big pressure on Premier John Horgan's NDP government at the start of the year to call a public inquiry into money laundering. He did just that in May. The public inquiry is coming in the new year, so you can bet 2020 will also be a big year on this file. But let's take a look back now at 2019. Got the best guest on the topic, Sam Cooper, investigative reporter for Global News. He broke a lot of the big stories on this in 2019. Sam, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Mike. Okay, Sam, let's go back to the start of the year now. And one of the things that really sounded the alarm bells on this file was the collapse of the biggest money laundering prosecution being pushed by the RCMP and the Crown. And that was the e-pirate investigation into underground banking and links to casinos in B.C. That all unraveled in late 2018. But at the start, near the start of 2019, you were able to find out some of the details about how that case fell apart. And I I think this really started the pressure on the government to call the public inquiry. So tell me about that, the e-pirate investigation, first of all. Yeah, uh, Mike, you're absolutely right about that. First of all, e-pirate is really what um, exposed what a lot of people on the inside knew and what people really in BC were suspecting that something very, very bad was happening in casinos and in uh, really real estate. But in, in a nutshell, what it was is uh, there were huge connections between Chinese gangs based in mainland China and cash coming into BC casinos, mountains of cash in uh, suitcases, in hockey bags, and uh, it appeared that casinos were just letting this come in. So ePirate is believed to be the biggest casino money laundering, money laundering investigation in Canadian history. And uh, our reports, even this is going back to the Vancouver Sun, showed the depth of this, showed it graphically. People were, a lot of people were, were waiting for charges where, you know, this was the hope that we're going to end this horrible problem. And then the case falls apart. And yes, uh, I revealed the reasons. It was simply that uh, Crown, the, uh, the federal prosecutors and the RCMP blew it. It was a huge case with literally gigabytes of data, incredible uh, amounts of evidence. And they ended up uh, flipping, uh, as the police would say, <laughs> unintentionally the, the, uh, the identity of a confidential informant. They gave this to the defense side. And they claimed that we have to throw this case away because we could be endangering someone's life. So when that happened, uh, you're right, Premier Horgan, uh, Attorney General E.B. came out and they said this is incredibly disappointing. Really, I mean, the rule of law is in danger. How can we move forward if the RCMP and uh, the prosecutors can't do their job? I remember David E.B. very early on in his tenure saying that when the public gets a glimpse and an idea of the scale of this money laundering was going to blow people's minds. And there was a famous news conference where EB showed some of those famous videos of the bags of money and cash and gangster rolls of loot being brought into BC casinos, and it did blow people's minds. It just looked so dirty. And then to have this big case, I mean, this was the one, right? This e-pirate case, this was the one where everyone was pinning their hopes on saying, finally, maybe we're going to get some of these, some of these bad guys. And then the whole thing unravels. And EB was 
disappointed by that. Do you think that that increased the pressure on the government here for this public inquiry? Absolutely. I, I even heard from inside the government, they, like the public, had their hopes on this. I mean, there was finally going to be accountability with these high-level gangsters, and they're very high-level, Mike. Uh, you know, they were going to be put in jail, hopefully. They were gonna, we were going to have this public record that says, you can no longer launder your fentanyl money in this province the way you've been doing it, and it fell apart. So I was hearing from inside government, if the, if the police can't handle this, yes, maybe we do need to call an inquiry. It may even be uncomfortable for, for, uh, for our government. It'll be more uncomfortable for the previous government. But we have to take this out of our hands and, and let uh, independent people look at it. And I really believe you're right. That started rolling the ball on the inquiry. Okay. I know there were people in the government that were still resistant to a public inquiry, but there was also another story this year, Sam, about Muriel Labine. Tell me that story and how you think that that may have even increased the pressure even more for this public inquiry. It, it certainly did, because one of the things that I was um, uh, fascinated or really motivated in my investigation is this didn't happen by accident in, in British Columbia. You know, in a couple of years, there was a long history of what I'm calling and what is Macau-style underground money laundering, Macau casino money laundering, that's been going on for decades in that uh, Chinese-related jurisdiction and was imported to British Columbia in the late 80s, the early 90s, and it really took off in the late 90s. What this story of Muriel Labine uh, proved was that um, this woman, a brave, uh, as she calls herself, a grandmother from the suburbs who was working in a Richmond casino, started to notice in May 97, when the NDP raised betting limits from $25 to $500 overnight and put in Baccarat tables, right away she started seeing foreign, uh, she could only judge them to be Asian gangsters coming in with bags of cash. She started to investigate herself, and she found these were the big circle boys, a mainland China and Hong Kong-based gang, and she started making reports to her managers. She says she was not interested. So in a nutshell, we broke the story of her casino diaries. This is a woman who was an investigator, who was an insider, who happened to be uh, an employee inside the casino. No one was taking her seriously, and so there was a lot of data there, a lot of evidence, and uh, we just put it out there, and it said, hey, this is not just a BC Liberal government issue. The NDP opened the door to this money laundering. So I felt it was important to timeline it. That's just one major point of uh, uh, circumstances that, that has led to our modern problems. But we were hearing that when we broke that story, People inside the NDP were saying, we can't, uh, we have to take some responsibility and we need to put ourselves at arm's length. I do, you know, they were saying in their words, we need an inquiry. We've got to step out of the way. Right. I think this is one of the key things that really cranked up the pressure too. are these whistleblowers because Muriel Labine was just one of them, a dealer supervisor, just someone working in a casino who saw stuff and, and felt it was important to speak up. And do you think these whistleblowers, You've interviewed a lot of them. You've gotten to know them. Are they going to be key witnesses in a, in a public inquiry in, in the new year? Like a guy like Fred Pinnock, who was used to be the head of the Integrated Illegal Gambling Enforcement Team. This is a guy who went public and blasted the former government for not doing enough on criminal activity in casinos. Your thoughts? 
Yeah, absolutely. They will be, uh, they will be the, the most important witnesses to get to the bottom of, of what happened here and whether there was corruption at high levels in government to turn a blind eye to dirty cash that any reasonable person knew this was going on. So there's a couple of points here. I just want to say that something strikes me with the whistleblowers almost to a person. You see that in their own personal life, in their profession, they have taken a hit. You know, they, they saw things going on where they couldn't stand it anymore. They asked, uh, you know, for either the police, the RCMP, BC's government to step in and take action, and it didn't happen. So what happens? They lose their jobs. Yep. They, they may go on stress leave. They may have, you know, all kinds of issues to their family just because they were trying to tell the truth. That takes us to, to the next point. Will they be able to tell their truth at the inquiry? Well, I can tell you that they want to name names, and they're shocking. They're shocking names. They're, uh, I'll leave it at that. But they feel, are they exposed to the backlash that's going to come at them from people that have got what is called standing, meaning their lawyers are going to be paid for in the, in the inquiry. These could be uh, executives in the Lottery Corporation. You know, this could be the BC Law Society. This could be real estate associations. So we're talking about the most rich and powerful uh, people in the province that may have benefited from this scandal. And we have whistleblowers on the other side that are worried if they can pay their legal bills. Because, um, Mike, uh, I'll tell you, I can tell you for sure this is what can ha- this will happen. People will be discredited or, you know, tried to be pulled through the mud and said, no, you're making allegations. What, where were you? You know, and it, they, they are worried. I can tell you that. Okay. You mentioned earlier, Sam, about how the betting limits in the casinos got cranked up dramatically in British Columbia. And maybe that was part of the genesis of this money laundering problem in the casinos. I remember those days when it was just 25 bucks was the maximum bet and like a hand of blackjack. And then it got cranked up under the NDP government. And then when the liberals came in, didn't they crank the betting limit up even higher? Absolutely. So we've talked about that very key event, $25 to $500 and Baccarat tables in 97. That's important because the Baccarat tables are the favored uh, Macau money laundering game. And it's also the favored big bulk cash uh, way to get the, you know, drug money into casinos. Let's just tell it like it is. I know that people uh, in the casino industry don't want me to say that. The evidence is that. But absolutely, BC's government realized we have a cash cow here and it is bringing in foreign gamblers, flying them into BC and uh, letting them gamble in our casinos. And if we increase those bet limits, the government is, of course, bringing in more and more revenue. So those bet limits go from 500 to 5,000, 10,000, up and up, finally to 100,000. So yes, I, I broke a story in spring this year, and what it said was BC's government was told by the casino regular, regulator GPEB, no, we don't want you to raise limits to 100,000 at Baccarat because that's a money laundering danger. What did they do? The opposite. Someone at a very high level, maybe the minister level stepped in because BC Lottery Corp wanted those limits raised to 100k they were raised and in 2014 what happens money laundering blew through the roof that year and uh, my story showed that yeah for sure I mean when I first heard about that hundred thousand dollar betting limit at Baccarat I thought are you kidding me like a lot of people would look at that and say is this a misprint no, $100,000 betting limit in BC casinos. I mean, back in the old days when the betting limits were real small, I mean, it was just like, this is a, a small problem. 
man, once you put, cranked up the betting limits like that, it was like a tsunami of cash just flooding into these casinos over a few years. And there were people who saw problems and tried to blow the whistle. And I guess they're going to get their chance in the new year. Just looking forward a little bit now, Sam, to this public inquiry. How do you see this unfolding in 2020? Um, we, there, there's some indications that we'll start to hear uh, evidence or, or at least, uh, you know, some indication of what the, the, the lawyers involved in the, in the commission, what, how they want to lay uh, the, the schedule out in spring. Maybe we'll start to hear, you know, really gripping testimony later in the year. But what is clear is that uh, at this point, really, it's an investigation. I mean, I understand that the lawyers involved, they're trying to get their heads around a, a massive, massive issue. They are, they're doing their own research. Uh, I don't know who they're talking to, but I know they're talking to people and trying to lay out the strategy. So again, uh, we know that whistleblowers, you've mentioned Ross Alderson, uh, yeah. he, um, he, he uh, went to, he well, well, we'll just say he stepped away from his job with the Lottery Corporation. Yes. He wants to speak. Uh, Fred Pinnock wants to speak. The RCMP illegal gaming unit commander whose unit got shut down when he asked to do more in BC Lottery Casinos. Many others. Um, I don't think we'll hear from them until late in 2020, but we should be hearing some sort of evidence in the spring. Yeah, Ross Alderson is a, a guy I got to know a little bit too this year, Sam, and, and this guy is an amazing guy. He's the former director of money laundering at the BC Lottery Corporation. He wrote some of those early reports on some of the stuff that he thought was suspicious going on in BC casinos. And yeah, I think this is a guy who really wants to say his piece. He knows a lot of stuff. He saw a lot of stuff. And he says he's really ready to name names and really rock this, uh, rock this public inquiry. So that's going to be fascinating to see how that unfolds in the new year. How about your own investigative work, Sam? You've, you've uncovered so much of the key stories on this file. Got anything else coming in the new year? Uh, Mike, I'm absolutely still digging into this. I'm still, uh, I've been making freedom of information uh, requests for years now, uh, sort of mind mapping how this happened. I've talked about Macau, Hong Kong, mainland China, Las Vegas may be in the mix What's going on in the underground is there's some very big people involved. My contention, my, my assertion here is this didn't happen by accident. So I'm working on showing, uh, you know, this is not just loan sharks on the street. It goes way higher than that. There's more than just the big circle boys involved. We're talking about dangerous. I believe some of the richest people in the world could be involved in some ways in what has happened in B.C. And I'm talking about uh, organized crime that is not from Canada. How big is the problem? I mean, we heard lots of numbers thrown around this year in 2019 about the scale of the problem in, in terms of billions of dollars and the scale of the money laundering in, in British Columbia. What is what is your kind of estimate or understanding how big it is? Well, my understanding, that that's an important point. I, I, I should say that one of the stories that was important this year was, uh, as you know, Peter German came out and said uh, about $100 million may have been laundered through casinos. I knew right away that was very wrong. Many of the whistleblowers knew it was wrong. So I did a story that showed uh, it was probably well over a billion, and that's because uh, bank drafts were used to launder money when people started to, you know, crack down on cash. So that, that means that not just casinos are involved, Canadian banks are involved. Yeah. And uh, what do you know? Uh, FinTrack Canada's money laundering 
regulator or agency just came out with an alert about a month ago or just a couple of weeks saying, yes, bank drafts and banks are a big part of this. So I'm talking about uh, billions through BC casinos if we go back to the 90s in real estate over 10, you know, it's hard to say, tens, 20s. I can't exactly say, tens but what tw- we do tens know is that... Tens of billions of dollars? Billions with a B? That's right. I, uh. I believe so. And the reason I'm saying that, uh, Mike, is that a lot of this money is laundered overseas, and by the time it arrives in Canada with developers, it already looks like clean money. So we, we're not just looking at um, buildings coming up in Vancouver. We're looking at uh, corporations that have built buildings around the world and then arrive in Canada. So uh, that'll be to, to, to be determined. But um, you're right. We did hear $5 billion as a figure in, uh, in uh, the money laundering review, and I believe it's a lot higher than that. Sam, you did awesome work on this file in 2019. I look forward to talking to you in the new year as we learn more. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Mike. That is Sam Cooper, investigative reporter with Global News.